Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall. Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform. I'm Larry Bishop, and you're listening to The World Is Wrong Podcast. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about Temptation. Confessions of a Marriage Counselor. <laughs> Remember when people used to talk that way on trailers? Why doesn't that happen? Like, no one says titles like that anymore. If I could, could forget him, I would, please believe me. Welcome to... The World is Wrong, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films the world is wrong about. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones. And I'm also a host, and my name is Brian Connolly. See, I did it better that time. Bravo! Bravo! You kind of you kind of ruined it by pointing it out. We could have just done it professionally and just let it be, but you're like, I got it! I got it! <laughs> Be patient, I'm learning. Okay. <laughs> You're new to this entertainment business. How long you been in, in showbiz? Like, uh... This business called show. Well, uh, uh, well, today we're looking at a film that you selected. Anything you want to tell us about it before we, uh, we, we play a clip? Oh, God. You know what? Let's just, let's just do a clip and then let's go in it. Because I think there's this, like, once I start it, it's going to be hard to stop. Just like I think, just go in being like, okay, you guys hear the word Tyler Perry and you want to run away, come, come in, come, come within and let's embrace each other and let's talk about Tyler Perry. Don't run away, friends. Let's st- stick with us for an hour. Yes, but make it a chaste embrace. Otherwise, you may be punished. <laughs> may be punished. Okay. At the end of the day, baby, I just don't. Are you happy? Yeah. Yeah, very happy. He's a great guy. Good for you. Especially good for him. He's a very lucky man, Judith. Um, it's uh, it's getting late. Let's uh, finish it tomorrow. Yeah, there was something I wanted to uh, bring up to you about the uh, the questionnaire. Yeah? I saw the questions about the relationships, the compatibility, the hobbies, but there are no questions there about sex. 
Oh, no, 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 no. I don't believe in sex before marriage, so why would he need that? Really? Yes. Wait a second. Where are you from? It's not about where I'm from. It's called I'm a Christian. I was raised that way. Wait, so what you're saying is your husband is the only guy you've ever been with? Ever? Yes. One guy? Yes, and my husband and I are very compatible. How would you know how sexually compatible you are when you have nothing to compare it to? I watch HBO. I know I'm not missing anything. <laughs> I just keep picturing this kind of same old, boring, turn the lamp off, fluff the pillows, always in the bedroom kind of thing. What's wrong with the bedroom? That's unfortunate. Be with another man, you know the sex should be random, like animals. When it happens, it just happens. In the kitchen, the shower, in the office, on the plane, on the floor. Are you getting turned on? Ew, please, you need to go home. Whew, man. Okay, so we are going to be going deep into the world of melodrama. Uh, is this our first melodrama episode? I believe it is. Well, sort of. Right, we uh, have, be, strange Loves I guess of Paper Martha. Boy. Yeah, Strange Love of Martha. There's Piper Boy. They both definitely lean into some melodrama. So, But this is like heavy duty modern melodrama. Yeah, it's um, not so mellow. It's melodrama that is <laughs> the opposite of mellow. Yeah, I guess that's, yeah, what would you call new Hyperdrama. Hyperdrama. <laughs> so, this movie. Let, let's not say the full, no, let, no, let's say the full title every time. Let's do some work. So, so, Temptation, Confessions of a Marriage Counselor from 2013 is a hyperdrama from the great Tyler Perry. This maybe is perhaps his masterpiece. Um, and the plot is what you would expect from a melodrama it's it's very heightened it's very moralistic uh it is not the typical sort of drama this is not a drama that would win an oscar this is not a drama that you would uh think oh that seemed that reminds me of a thing like no this is we're working on a, a level of reality here that is not our own and the plot is uh i guess sort of simple but also not because it melodrama always works in that soap opera sort of world of like secrets and just sort of like things behind closed doors. So you have the character of Judith played by, I'm going to say her name wrong. Journey Smollett. Journey Smollett Bell. Bell. And she and her, uh, lifelong sweetheart, Bryce played by Lance Gross. Like they're like teenage lovers and they are together, 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 and then they decide to get married. And they are the only people that either of them have ever been with. And that's fine, because they seem to really love each other. She wants to be a therapist. She wants to be, in, in particular, a marriage therapist, a marriage counselor. But they move to the big city. They move to D- Washington, D.C. from their small town upbringing. And she gets a job working for this like kind of online 
website for rich guys, I guess, run by a, the French Vanilla, Vanessa Williams, who, uh, who in real life is not French, but in the movie speaks with a French accent. And while her husband Bryce is working his humble job as a pharmacist at the local small town DC pharmacy, she is helping build this uh, dating empire uh, for Janice, the French lady. And she, while doing this, works with the the uh, f- first time acting, I think, Kim Kardashian, Kim Kardashian West now, uh, Ava, who's sort of like, I guess she's sort of the secretary. She's sort of like the person answering the phones. And she's not very nice. And she's very concerned with how Judith looks. And is constantly saying, like, your clothes are trash, your makeup's trash, your hair is shit. And... And the whole time Judith is like, who cares? Who cares? But then in sweeps this dashing, handsome millionaire named Harley, who's sort of like built up to be sort of like a, uh, he's like a dot com, you know, bigwig. Like he's a, he's got, he's a successful man on the internet. And he wants to, uh, he's, he's one of the investors, I guess, in this, in this dating company. And so he gets to work with uh, Judith on sort of the questionnaire on how are we weeding out these people? How are we matching people up? And he is wondering, like in the in the clip we just played, of like, why are there questions about sex? And Judith says, well, I don't believe in sex before marriage. So already she's putting her own personal thing on these questionnaires, which I don't think she should do, because you can't expect everybody to believe in what you believe with premarital sex. But this, you know, it's her job. And he questions it. And then basically... The fire builds between these two and it becomes a, this is where the temptation comes in. Should she sleep with this man? Should she cheat on her husband? Because Kim Kardashian and this millionaire is like, yes, you should. Like you don't need this humdrum sex life with only one guy forever. Like, like live a little, like go off with this dashing millionaire on his private jet. And just like, he's so sexy and so attentive. And like, it kind of, the breaking point is when Judith's husband forgets her goddamn birthday. And that's and then instead, the millionaire remembers her birthday. And that's sort of like, I guess I will start a fiery uh, affair. And much like our past episode of the movie 10, it doesn't work out so well. She at least has sex in this one and Tanny never scores. But <laughs> she does. But then because she does start the actual affair... The fire and brimstone rains upon her, and because her mom, who is sort of like in the church, I think they kind of met. She's like a pastor or something, is very condemning, and she seems to be aware of what's going on. And but it doesn't stop the downfall of this poor lady as she gets further and further into the world, into this temptation of uh, extramarital affairs. And uh, yeah, so that's the movie, and it just. It's so good. I love this movie. When I first saw this movie, it blew me away. This was... I don't know if it was the first Tyler Perry movie I saw, but it definitely was his first melodrama I saw. I think I saw some Medea before this. And man, this is what he's good at. Like I, And the tone is off, and it's exciting, and it works in that melodrama, you know, hyper-reality way. And it's, it's like the fact that uh, this movie isn't talked about more is very sad to me, and so I'm glad that we are going to be doing it. Well, how is the world wrong about this film, Brian? 
Well, I think the world is wrong in many in many ways about this. I think the world in general is very wrong about Tyler Perry. He definitely, I think, he's an interesting guy because he's always he's a self-made, you know, filmmaker, artist, playwright, uh, you know, millionaire. He owns his own studio now. He bought like what is now one of the largest studios in the world in Atlanta, Georgia, where he makes all his movies. And people tend to, like, he kind of is often just the butt of a joke in a way, even though his movies have always been successful. Like, there have always been audiences, predominantly black audiences. And I think, for whatever reason, he becomes the butt of a joke for a lot of white people of, like, oh, that that silly stuff that's not for me. Or that, like, he's doing this weird drag thing. He's doing this weird melodrama and like they don't even use the word melodrama. They're, they don't even know how to. Say, they're just like he's making these ridiculous, over the top, you know, dramas. But like they do well. Like his movies aren't. You know, you can't have enough money to build your own studio if you're not successful. You know, and he's doing what we talked about in the director's wall uh, about uh, Zoetrope. Like he is making his own studio, making his own movies, helping people with their movies. But unlike Zoetrope with much success like he's being very successful but people just like to shit on him i think no one wants to take him seriously i don't know why exactly maybe because his movies are too different and then this movie in particular like our old not friends the raspberry awards (laughs) really likes to throw some shit towards this movie uh, I think this was nominated for worst director, maybe worst picture. I don't quite remember. Hmm. But like it's the Razzies. Hmm. Let's see. <laughs> Last time we we took them to task for potential anti-Semitism. Is it possible they're gonna go two for two here? <laughs> I think they just hate. They like to hate anything. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. This. Oh, so this movie won worst supporting actress for Kim Kardashian. And was nominated for worst director, and it was this, and and uh, it's just you know, come on, like this movie is not a terrible movie. It's a different movie. It's a melodrama. It's not supposed to be a mirror of our reality. It is the heightened reality of a movie world, but with harsh life lessons in it. So I'm kind of giving a rambling answer, <laughs> but basically. This movie's very hated, like by critics. Critics hate this movie. They think it's crap, and audiences don't give a lot. A lot of people don't give Tyler Perry a chance. They don't want to take him seriously as a filmmaker or as sort of a a, a powerhouse in the in in the film world, which he is. You mind if I unpack a little bit of my my reaction Please. here? Because yeah, <clears throat> I'll, I'll I'll be honest, I. I'm one of those people who's heard a lot of people talk about Tyler Perry, but I, you know, he's a, he's a blind spot for me as a filmmaker and as an artist. So this was, at first I was like, oh, this is great. I'm going to get to, I'm going to get to go deep on Tyler Perry. I'm looking forward to this. And then I watched this movie and realized and listeners are going to get bummed out of me because I get because I'm a wimp about horror movies, <laughs> but I'm also really a wimp around movies. This hit this this sort of non sweet spot for me that reminded me of uh, what's the Richard Gear uh, the Richard Gear Diane Lane film Unfaithful from Unf- 2002. Unfaithful, yeah. 
and that and I I I don't love Richard Gere, but I love Diane Lane, and I was really you know I was interested in that film, and I got about half the way through. I basically got to the point where she cheats, and Richard Gere is starting to think something's up, and I just couldn't go back and watch that movie. And I basically <laughs> got to that point in this movie where she cheats. I hate even don't even like that word where she is unfaithful to her husband on the private jet of the millionaire, the maybe billionaire, whatever, the rich guy. And yeah. I just couldn't keep, like, I felt really bad about it for like a few days. Like I could, I had to turn it off. I just could, it, it was too confronting for me. It basically, she when she comes home and she has, is having a meal with her mom and her husband and she's clearly guilty and, they are. They don't. They haven't picked up on it yet. But <clears throat> you know that they're going to, and the movie is going to be masterful in teasing this out as it should. But I'm not up for that. Like I hate jealousy. Uh, it really is. <clears throat> I've had like I like I'll I'll be in a monogamous relationship, but I hate the language of monogamy in the same way that like you might want to behave as Jesus might, but you might not want all the rhetoric that and rigmarole that goes around appreciating that teaching so my point is even just talking about it i just get kind of tensed up films that were where jealousy and punishment are sort of like taken as a given to me is a huge trigger so basically then i so interesting I, I couldn't watch i couldn't watch it and i called you after about three days and <laughs> a couple of attempts to go back and start watching from that part and I was just like, I'm so sorry, man. I feel terrible. I don't know how to, like, I can't, I don't know if I can watch the end of this movie. And you were like, you're very cool about it. You're like, oh, cool. Well, I'll tell you how the movie ends when we're on the show. So I'm, <laughs> I am kind of looking forward to finding out how the movie ends without having to watch it all play out and feel compassion for these characters. But then you suggested that I watch uh, Medea Goes to Jail. And yeah. that was one of the most amazing film experiences I've had. And like that was, <laughs> please, please tell me about that because I feel this episode isn't just about temptation. I think it's about Tyler Perry in general, and that he is. There's something really interesting going on in his movies, and nobody's talking about it. And let's talk about it. So I want to hear about your experience with Medea goes to jail, please. Okay, well let's. I think let's let's get to that. So I, what I'd love to do is. <laughs> And there's another piece of this that really clicked in, and it's uh, it's something about it's just I I really appreciate it about your eye. I've never heard anyone compare Tyler Perry to Douglas Sirk before, but I really love Douglas Sirk's films. And if you watch <laughs> Medea Goes to Jail, like it's a Douglas Sirk film, and I think probably if you don't have my thing about jealousy, if you watched Unfaithful from the standpoint of Douglas Sirk, you would. Like I feel like that just opens up the world of Tyler Perry. Yeah. So I wanted to give you a it, chance to talk about that and to tell me how uh, this Temptations, Confessions of a Marriage Counselor ends. And then <laughs> and then we can and talk about, and... <laughs> let's go into talking about uh, uh, Medea Goes to Jail. But the one thing I also want to say is the part of the film that I could watch, I was, I, I know what you mean, like the tone and the look of it is different but great and or different and great. And I, I really enjoyed the, the lead actress's performance. Like yeah, she's a really she's com incredibly compelling, uh, just 
person on film. And I'm not, I don't really follow the Kardashians, but you know, Kim Kardashian, she plays, it's just like the, the, the receptionist in Twin Peaks. She plays a, an unrealistically goofy character that, or the, the receptionist in Moonlighting. I'm just thinking of all these goofy receptionist characters that are, that get away with being mean because they're also adorable in this over the top yeah. way that can only happen on film. So, yeah. Yeah. Like I if you if you don't have your if you don't have the aversion to jealousy stuff, it's just like watching a, a porn film that for a, a kink that you're not into. It's like no, I know that you might like piss, pissing movies, but I can't watch a pissing porn and this has like this moment where there's just a bunch of piss happening and i'm like no i can't (laughs) sorry it's i'm averse i'm averse to that i because of my own background i can't you know yeah so anyway so that's something you know about me now folks don't send me piss uh, gifts uh, but yeah like talking about douglas sirk for a second um that's how I pushed this movie on people like at the video store when I was like deeply into this movie. I mean, I still am. I like the people that I know who would never watch this. I would say like, Hey, you film guy, film girl, you love Douglas Sirk movies. You have rented the criterion written on the wind and all the heaven allows. So you are, you're, you understand Mel, you understand melodrama. You understand what it's supposed to be, like how it can be effective, how it can work. That yes, there are silly parts of it, but that you can see through that and see the gold that's there. And that's how I always sold this Temptation movie. I was like, this is a Douglas Sirk movie. It doesn't look as good as a Douglas Sirk movie. Like Douglas Sirk had the advantage of making movies in like Technicolor 1950s with like an amazing studio cinematographer, amazing set. So it's just this, these beautiful eye candy like i rewatched all the heaven allows i want to eat that movie it looks like a delicious piece of candy and so these temptation doesn't have that it does it it's a much more lower budget movie it doesn't have the lush old hollywood look what movie does now you know like what movie looks like a douglas sirk movie in the last 50 years not not a lot you know? i don't think unfaithful <laughs> looks worse than solo <laughs> or temptation yeah oh sorry yeah um <laughs> Yeah, it just it looks like a movie. It looks like a movie. And like most movies now don't have this beautiful cinematography. Like you can get like the really good directors, you know, like a P.T. Anderson or a you know Steven Spielberg or whoever can make some be- like Wong Kar Wai will have a great looking movie. But this movie, yeah, it looks just more like a movie. But it's not cheap looking. It doesn't look like crap. So if you can forget about that it doesn't look like a Douglas Sirk movie, but it has that it has that chemistry. It has that you know like it's 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 there's heavy symbolism and there's and it's it's high you know melodrama it's like a soap opera like soap operas are melodrama it's like you're acting your acting is a little bit overacting you're kind of acting bigger and the stories are bigger to kind of hit these points and to hit these messages but it doesn't mean it's bad it just means it's different it's this movie is going to be give you a different experience than watching some realistic drama and so like douglas cirque who at the time was hated by critic. People thought his movies were trash. Like you watch them now and you can't believe how that's possible because written on the wind is so amazing, you know, and the symbolism mm. of that is so yeah. funny and, yeah. and great. And like the, the performances are great. And, but at the time he was like considered like, those are just garbage movies that like for popular, you know, it's popular film. And then the, um, 
the French New Wave guys like Godard and Truffaut were like coming up with their auteur theory and they were deep into like Hitchcock and Howard Hawks. But the other guy they were really into was Douglas Sirk. And they were like at the time, like in the late fifties being like, Americans are dumb. They don't understand what a genius they had with Douglas Sirk. And, uh, you know, I feel it's going to be the same thing with Tyler Perry. I think we're all taking him for granted right now. And then maybe in 20 years, people will be like, Oh no, wait, there was something that guy was making a really interesting body of work. And, What's interesting, too, is I also will often compare him to Fassbender. So Fassbender was a huge Douglas Sirk fan, and his movies would often reference them. And then he remade uh, All That Heaven Allows with Ali Fear Eats the Souls. It's like a, his remake of that. And he was also a playwright and very prolific and also had his own kind of group of people making movies, which is very much like Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry started as a playwright, still writes plays. This movie is based on a play. Uh, he has his group of actors. He uses a lot of... T- it's just like, there's so many similarities that I can't... Like, there's got, like Tyler Perry is either, like, his own genius or he's got to be a big fan of, like, melodrama Douglas Sirk. Um, yeah. So that so that's sort of, like, how I push this movie. Like, th- this is melodrama. This is Sirk. Like, that's what Temptation is. That's what... Even the Tyler Perry comedies get into this Sirkian thing and, like, the tone. Like, All That Heaven Allows has... This really, you know, like deep, heavy drama, but then there's also funny stuff with like uh, her daughter being this like hyper intellectual from college and stuff. So like this movie also has weird touches of humor, and just like how the Medea movies have weird touches of melodrama in the humor. Oh boy! Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess do you want me to tell you just like let's open up the can of spoilers and let me just lay out so that we can have it. So. so- <laughs> You have this setup. She's working in this place. Yeah. And there's this guy who is the sexy guy. If it was a different kind of movie, he'd be the hero. Like in a certain, in a certain, like a lot of movies, are, there was a movie about the woman who's with this guy. She's been with him for a long time, but he doesn't, he doesn't notice her. He doesn't really get what, what's, what she's about. And she, and this, in this case, he's also very, charming and lovable because the movie makes him charming and lovable but if they didn't make him charming and lovable or if it showed that charming and lovable stuff as being kind of cheesy and dumb and then Matthew McConaughey swoops in and takes this woman <laughs> on this adventure we want we're sort of cheering for her whether she's running off in Thelma and Louise with her girlfriend or she's running off in a romantic movie or a comedy movie with Adam Sandler or Matthew McConaughey or someone else, a lot of movies would celebrate that dynamic. But this, he is like a, like he's definitely the snake, right? He's the, the <laughs> from the Garden of Eden. He's, and he's offering yeah. her sex, but, and she's seduced. She takes him on the, he takes her on the plane. Like it's, uh, you know, one of those, what's the Twilight movie that they made into a sex book? Oh, a Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Fifty Shades of Grey th- thing, and uh, <laughs> and they have sex on the plane. Finally, she gets. Oh, and it's kind of a rape because, kind of a rape. Thank you. Uh, it's it's a rape. He uh, he basically forces himself on her, and she says no, 
And then he's like, okay, now you can say you said no, and then they have sex. So it's not even entirely a consensual, it's like really not, it doesn't feel like a consensual situation. Again, my sympathy is with an actress in a different movie, I think. Because at this point, then she comes home and it's like the worst thing has ever happened to her. So it's kind of treated like a rape, except that she feels incredibly guilty for it. She's having this dinner with her family and I can't watch anymore. So now let me (laughs) curl up into a little fetal ball and put a blanket (laughs) over me and you tell me how it happened because I'm so sorry. All right, so... So basically you have there, so she basically starts, like, like as her mom kind of tells her off in this scene, is sort of like, because the mom can tell, her mom, this reverend, this pastor, sorry, is sort of like, you, what's going on? And then they have, did you see the scene where she's, get the mom gets upset when she finds out that her daughter has never cooked a meal for her husband Yeah, once. yeah, yeah. And she gets really mad by that, being like, what do you mean? What, what's going on? And they're like, oh, she's busy, she works, it's fine. And the mom is like, what, what kind of wife are you? And then it kind of goes into where basically Judith just fully dives in and embraces this affair. Like the guilt is there, but then it's kind of more like, you know what? I'm just going to hang out with this guy. Like I'm going to just do this. And so she kind of goes, keeps going off with him. And then uh, the rich guy, Harley is like, I'm going to pay for your own marriage counseling business. Let me, let's like fuck your husband and he telling you that you need to save your money and wait. I'm going to just give you a million of dollars and we're going to make your dreams come true. And she's like, great. And so they kind of, she gets caught up in this millionaire world and starts drinking very heavily and starts being kind of drunk all the time. <clears throat> Cause she's just partying constantly with this rich guy. And while this is going on, uh, the husband, Bryce is being really friendly with his co-worker, uh, Melinda, played by Brandy, who she kind of, we haven't touched on her yet. Like she shows up at the pharmacy kind of looking for a job, has sort of a secret troubled past that we don't really know about, like a damaged lady. And he hires her to help at this pharmacy that he also works at with a very odd, strange old lady. <laughs> Coded is Jewish? Does she seem like a Jewish lady? She seemed like an old Jewish lady? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And she, she's the comic relief of the movie. I think, is that, is her name Mrs. Waco Chapman? Like, I, I think that's who that character is. Does that seem right? Uh, Renee Taylor, who uh, played Ava Braun in The Producers. Oh. <laughs> but she's like the comic relief. And there's this weird scene of like her trying to steal all this candy from the pharmacy and there's like this weird thing where she thinks maybe that the Melinda character is a lesbian and maybe she'd be wanting to go out with her too if she was also gay. There's a weird thing of her saying she has a room full, like a whole room full of uh, Valium. <laughs> like, so she's like the, the laughs. So anyways, this weird little crew at the pharmacy. And so this affair is going on. It's not even an affair anymore. It's like totally known. The husband finds out. He goes to try to pull... Judith away from one of these uh, lavish rich people parties where she's drunk. And she's like, no, fuck you. Leave me alone. And so then he runs to Melinda, just all sad being like my wife, my wife. And then he was like, almost like wants to have an affair with Melinda. And she's like, no, this won't do you any good. Like you don't want this. You're just feeling bad. Like you will regret this stop. And he's like, you're right. So he goes home. And basically then Judith comes home to grab her laptop. Cause she's basically moved in with the rich guy and the mom's there praying with her friends, praying for their daughter in like a big prayer circle. Like, oh, my daughter. Oh, God, the sin. And she, so, so, but the daughter shows up with Harley. 
and the and the and, and the mom won't give the laptop up and so and and like and the 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 rich guy is like really mean to her mom and they get the laptop away and when they get back to the rich guy's pad uh judith is really upset with him being like why did you treat my mom so badly and he's just like fuck her like they don't understand like you live in this great life like fuck these people like you're you're great like we'll open up your business wonderful she, she's found out at work that she's doing this side project with the rich guy so she is fired by uh, the Vanessa Williams character. Oh. But then it is revealed the Vanessa Williams is not really French. She's just pretending to be French Ooh. to impress people. Right? That, so she's I mean, outed I'm sorry, as a I fake that French. Part. That sounds like that would yeah, have been So good. that was like a big moment. Okay. So then uh, the relationship between Judith and Harley starts to get abusive. Like the night when she confronts him about being Ugh. shitty to her mom he starts to hit her and he starts oh. to be like abusive and possessive oh. and just sort of like a total revealed to be a real shitty guy extra shitty then it's like forrest gump so all then, over again oh i hate this uh, <laughs> so then like so she's getting more drunk like he's being abusive to her the husband doesn't know what to do so he starts becoming like him and melinda are good friends the bryce and they're hanging out and Melinda is just, and he's just like, you should get a relationship again. You should open up and live life. And she gets really sad and says, I have a confession to make. I have HIV. And this is why I'm sad. And like my last boyfriend gave it to me. And it just sort of like, it just kind of put me in a dark place. And he, and him just being like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like that must be really hard. But it's revealed that her ex-husband is, or her ex-boyfriend is Harley. Oh. So, <laughs> right? So then he's like, wait a minute, what? This is your ex-boyfriend? She's like, yeah. And he's like, that's who my wife is sleeping with. And so then he goes to rush to the... the, to the uh, oh. This is when it feels very Douglas Sirky. Like when it's like the, the, the passions or the feelings are heated. Things are going crazy. He races to the apartment to pull Judith away, being like, this is a bad guy. He is this abusive jerk to my coworker. And like, we must get you out of her. So he pulls the wife away, beats the shit out of Harley... And then that's kind of the end. And then we cut back to... Oh, and I forgot. I totally forgot. The whole movie's bookended by this older marriage counselor, like kind of working in this, what feels like a more of like a government sort of facility, helping this couple out and, and talking. The whole movie is this story being told to this lady who is having an affair on her husband or thinking about it. And it's sort of like done as like, well, before you continue with this, let me tell you the story of my sister, I think is what she says. But is it actually but then we her? Go back, but it's actually her. It's her story. She has gotten HIV for having this affair. And then the end of the movie is her going to the pharmacy that her husband works her her husband worked at to get her HIV pills. Her husband has now divorced her, has married a different lady, and has a bunch of children and is very happy. And she leaves all sad and old and full of HIV walks down the street sad with her pills and is going to go to church with her mom that she has made amends with. The end. <laughs> so, I, uh... it's, <laughs> I, so I think you were correct in stopping watches because you would just not feel any more comfortable or happy uh... with the intense outcome that this, this person is punished with. Like it definitely like, it kind of hits into sort of the way that also like, 
Lars von Trier does melodrama in a much more brutal way and how his characters will get punished and how like you just know nothing good is going to happen to these people all the way till the end. Um, and a lot of the Fassbender movies, Fassbender movies like that too, like Fox and his friends and stuff like that. Um, and, and, and another thing we haven't touched on is that and another reason why people don't like Tyler Perry is his movies definitely are very much a, a lot of Christian stuff is in there because he is very Christian. And so a lot of this sort of like, like this movie is the temptation of this. Like it could be read that the rich guy is like the devil. Like you said, he is the snake in the garden of Eden. Um, woo. Melodrama. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny when you were, now I, I said it when you were saying it, but do you, when I was listening to it, I really got these uh, Forrest Gump flashbacks. Like that, I feel like maybe this is just yeah. like the the half. Like if this was just the half of uh, Jenny's half of Forrest Gump. <laughs> but I feel like I think it's like a little different because I don't think. I mean, what's weird about Forrest Gump is that she's not doing anything wrong in that movie at all. Like, Jenny is just a free spirit. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. The movie says that she does <laughs> she, what the, she does is wrong is that she goes and she's an activist and she has a sexual life and with, she, like, all these, yeah. like, she doesn't stay home. She does, she ultimately, she did, the, the biggest thing was she didn't choose to marry Forrest. She should have just given, done nothing and just stayed home waiting for Forrest. Everything would have been fine. Which is basically yeah. what I feel like this movie is saying about the Judith character. If she had just cooked more for her husband, stayed <laughs> home, only had sex with one guy, gone to church with her mother, and been a nice girl, then none of this bad stuff would have happened. And that's just, I don't want to stay on that too much because that's just like, that's my own personal thing. Like, I'm rooting for a different kind of movie. <laughs> to for to happen to this character when I see women when I see you know it's just weird I'm actually thinking about it though like somehow none of this punishment falls on Kim Kardashian or Van like another it, it doesn't fall on these there's some women who seem to get away with this stuff why do they get away with this stuff why don't you they know maybe because <laughs> maybe they're all part of the temptation they're all part of the the evil package yeah know? they're just part of the and it's they're the, devils and it's the, okay. And it's the innocent that is pun, you know, that is punished. And like this movie, it definitely feels like it reminds me of, like Bible stories, you know, where it's like, don't do this thing, or else this you'll turn to a pillar of salt, or you'll be eaten by snakes, or whatever. Like, and then the person does it, and they sin, and then they like the you know, Old Testament God harshly punishes them and kills, like has the bears eat their children, or floods the village, or you know, this is like feels like very Old Testament. Uh, God were at work here. Who's a dick, by the way. Right. Well, <laughs> comparing it to Douglas Sirk, I feel like his movies, they happen, they're happening in a world like, I don't know, like All That Heaven Will Allow. The movie is saying that the mother character and that who's just not allowed to fall in love with anyone or do anything because she's supposed to be like a dead old husk of a thing now that her kid you know because mm -hmm. of her kids anyway that the film was rooting for her to find love and even though it keeps putting mm -hmm. stuff on her whereas they feel like this film yeah. is rooting for judith to be able to go back in time and not have lived and again to not have lived a life <laughs> but the melodrama i, I want to keep i want to stay on the melodrama side of talking about this because i feel like that is a doorway into this and then to then go to 
Medea goes to jail and watch that and think about melodrama in terms of that and what I was able to get out of this and from your telling of it, that it feels like it makes me want to... Oh, I just feel like that's an interesting conversation and I feel like that might be a doorway into Tyler Perry's work that that is great that you're opening. So... Um, what what were so if people aren't aware of Douglas Sirk, what are some other examples you'd think of of either modern melodrama? I mean, definitely like any soap opera. Like soap operas are very much melodrama. I mean, even like the part the non zombie parts of Walking Dead, that's melodrama. You know, like it's a heightened reality, it's a heightened emotions, you know, and it's very like it's very much, it's very clear with the emotions of just like, he is angry because of this and you are being punished because of that. And here there's no subtext. It's all text. Like you're all, it's all out on the paper <laughs> in a way, you know? And I think like Showgirls is very much a melodrama for sure. Like that movie is a heightened world with heightened emotions and harsh, you know, moral things going on. And, and like, it's just, it's just, it's, there's, there's not a lot because I think people consider it to be cheesy and they always have. I think people look at melodrama as sort of like silly shit, you know, because it's not, you know, it's not the King's speech. It's not like something that's like, this is just some real thing. It's just like more, it's exaggerated, you know, it's an exaggerated version of drama and some of it's bad, like not soap, not all soap operas are great. But like when it's done well and when you know the people making it are aware that they're doing something interesting, you can get some you get some good stuff. But I mean, Doug, I don't think Douglas Sirk was completely like aware of everything that was great about melodrama. That was just like the genre he was working in and, and excelled in. Um Yeah. I think yeah. it's just hard for people to wrap their head around, you know? It, it's because it's not this isn't an Oscar Beatty sort of it's this isn't like a relatable drama it's more like it's 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 ridiculous it's a ridiculous version of drama <laughs> but it doesn't mean it's dumb <laughs> so i also while i was going on the tyler perry dive i was also going into the douglas cirque vibe and when i was re-watching written on the wind i also got these big nicholas ray vibes coming off it's the same era that's yeah. kind of big color big emotions and for some, you know, I guess Nicholas Ray was more of a macho guy, so maybe mm-hmm. it didn't stick to him in the way that I love. The thing about Written on the Wind is there's a, like you can watch it in retrospect, knowing what we know about Rock Hudson, and the film works even better than it did when he was the tough guy Rock Hudson movie star that it also works as mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. great. So there's also like that's I think part of what makes Douglas Sirk so great is that and what may make uh, Tyler Perry great is like what is he smuggling into these films in terms of ideas that late in ret in retrospect we'll look back on and say okay well this film is functioning on one point speaking to its time that was hostile to it and now it's speaking to us in a different way and this filmmaker clearly knows what they're doing so what were they doing. But the one other thing I wanted to say about melodrama is we talk about big emotions. We talk about big, you know, it's all, it's sort of, it gets ghettoized because I think 
if you think of the way that like a, a film that's a, like a, a lot of great action films that we like, that they the the violence is celebrated because it's cartoonish and over the top. These quick close-ins and things exploding and people yeah. walking in slow motion away from a building with fire pouring out yeah. of it and all this stuff. That's totally over the top. That's not how violence happens in real life. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> and because but we we get that this is the language of film and so we can really allow ourselves to be drawn into it. And I feel like that's the charm of great melodrama is that it does that with humans and emotions as yes. opposed yes. to explosions or like in pornography yes. with sex. It makes a close up have the impact of an exploding building and someone walking away in slow motion. <laughs> and if you watch it like that and you get that, that's a, that's not easy, especially because a lot of times the actors that are in these films aren't even like they don't get these films don't usually get the great actors. Right. I mean, yeah. Douglas Sirk, you're working with Robert Stack and Rock Hudson and Lauren Bacall and, it, who's who's the lead actress in All That Heaven Allows? That's Jane Wyman, who, by the way, is was the first Mrs. Ronald Reagan. But none of these are the great actors or actresses of their generation. So there's another element of filmmaking, which is sort of like being able to use. You have to use filmmaking tricks, like you do in those in the scenes of violence and action pictures, to make something which is just seen just from a distance, you know, not that compelling to make Rock Hudson into Laurence Olivier through filmmaking mm -hmm. so that the impact yeah. of a close up on Rock Hudson has the impact of a great performance from a great actor. But the great performance is coming from the director who knows how to set it up. So, yeah, that yeah. soulful look means so much to us in the context of the story. That's great, though, the, the comparing melodrama to action movies. Like, these are the Michael Bay of drama movies. <laughs> yeah. Like, when you, punch so when you punch somebody, it doesn't make a satisfying thwacking sound. It just sounds like wet meat. And in this movie, when somebody's crying or someone is upset or, or drama's going on, it's the, it's the, you know, the equivalent of those crazy sounds. Like, it's not how it really is. But when the whole movie works on Eleven like that it comes it, it's if it's done correctly it's such a wild ride it's such an exciting version of a movie so can we um, talk about an exciting version of a movie which is called medea goes to jail <laughs> yes i love it <laughs> talk about it how many times i mean how many medea films have you seen all of them okay uh, this is <laughs> This is one of those things that's very daunting. If you enter the story at this point, trying to find your... It's like getting, like when in the 80s being a teenager and trying to figure out Frank Zappa. It's like there's too much... Like where do... <laughs> I don't know how to start. So you just sort of stay... Like you don't know... Unless you have a friend who's like, okay, you start here and then work your way. Like these are the ones to avoid first. You'll like these once you really get it. But yeah. So I, I had never seen a Medea film. And I, I'm so curious to know, once we've talked about it, what you recommend as my second one. But Medea Goes to Jail, where does it fit in the, in the pantheon? It's in the middle? It's late era Medea? How many Medeas were there before? 
Uh, I want to say that's like that feels middle to me. That seems right. Yeah, so that's two thousand. Yeah, so Medea goes to jail is two thousand nine. So that's like right in the middle. Like they just made a Medea movie like a year ago. So, <laughs> and just to for those of us who are not up on our Medea, the the Medea <laughs> phenomenon was that that was what put Tyler Perry on the map. Uh, I think it kind of did. Like he, because it was it all started with what's it called, Diary of a Mad Housewife. And so that was, so it all, it's all plays. It all started as plays. Like he's a theater guy and his first, he did, he did a, his first play was a musical um, and it didn't do well, but then he just kind of started, uh, you know, just kind of cranking them out. Like, like very much like Fossbender of just, I'm sorry, <laughs> Diary of a Mad Black Woman. Is what it is. Diary of a Mad Housewife is an old movie right. with Richard Benjamin. Diary of a Mad Black Woman is the first. That's the introduction of Medea. It's two thousand five, based on a play, and his plays were getting a little popular. And he, all of his plays, like he, he, like he will make a lot of them into movies. Like not a not all of them, because he doesn't stop. He's so goddamn prolific. Like he writes plays every year. He writes and directs movies. He acts for other people. He produces and makes t- multiple television shows. Like this guy is an unstoppable force. But like, yeah, Medea was in Dare of a Mad Black Woman and people loved the character of Medea. And so then Medea started getting <laughs> her own series <laughs> of movies. You have a Medea Christmas. You have Medea's fun- you know, funeral or whatever everyone's called. Like it just goes on and on and on. It's just, it's a phenomenon. It's like, it's kind of like hits into that post Eddie Murphy, Nutty Professor. There's something that people really love of like black comedian dressing up as a lady. And so like, it's like Eddie Murphy kind of brought that into like the millions of dollar area with Nutty Professor. Then you have your like big mama's houses with Martin Lawrence. And then Medea is like, the less crass version of those movies, I guess, though they can still be pretty crass at times. But like, there is a lot of Medea movies. Like, once you, if you love a Medea, th- then you will have a whole world of Medea to like go through. And in Medea goes to jail when we're first introduced to Medea. What's interesting about the performance is that it doesn't seem like Tyler Perry is trying to uh, play it as a woman at all. It's just <laughs> that as the joke, I just want to care. Is that, is, is he sort of getting lazy at that point? Or is that part of the joke <laughs> that it's, a, that it really is that Medea is just basically Tyler Perry in the clothes, sort of doing a more what? amped up version of his personality, but with no attempt to, Put to make the character feminine in any way. I think that's the kind of the joke is that she's not very feminine, that she's like very tough. And okay. I think they even characters make jokes of like, is that a guy? You know, like, I think it's not like, they're not trying to go for believability. Like it, it, again, it's like, it's a melodrama version of drag, I guess. <laughs> they're not trying to pass. It. So, okay. So this movie <laughs> I was so surprised. It also features Viola Davis in a very intense performance with some really tough scenes. I'd say the movie is 70% melodrama. Yeah. Spark with these moments of broad comedy. But for the most part, 
And oh man, I wish man, conf- uh, temptation, confessions of a marriage counselor. If it had had Medea in it, I would have been <laughs> like, if she had shown it, just like if she had, like if you could have broken it up every fifteen minutes with <laughs> Medea coming in and yelling at someone or punching someone or something. Like, <laughs> I wonder how Tyler Perry decides which way to go because, like, a lot of the Medea movies. She's not really the main character. Like, she's in it a lot, but then there's also this other drama going on between other characters. Like, oh, yeah. You know, Derek and Luke. Will, yeah, and Medea will, like, kind of float in and out of this other movie, and you could have totally easily had Temptation be, like, Medea goes to a marriage counselor or whatever and had the same exact movie, had the same exact plot, had the same exact movie and had the same exact plot, but instead have Medea, yeah, like, bust in and, you know, like punch kim kardashian or whatever like, like for making fun of her clothes or something like it's it's like i wonder if he just flips a coin if he's like okay this, is this gonna be a medea or is this gonna just be because like i said temptation also has really silly things in it like it has this weird broad comedy sprinkled in like when she when the wife runs home and what kind of like tries to force the husband into this like snm moment you know, where she's just like, yeah, like hit me, come on, rip me, let's let's do this. And the husband's like, whoa, what the hell's going on? And that scene is totally played for laughs. <laughs> and like, yeah, the weird old lady at the pharmacy, like this is like weird broad comedy, but within this like harsh melodrama. And then yeah, like Medea goes to jail. There's some heavy shit in that movie. It's oh not yeah, a lighthearted comedy. No, it's it's <laughs> like, that's not a breezy comedy. As you think, like you think Medea goes to jail, you think, oh, is it going to be like Ernest goes to jail? Is this going to be like that kind of a comedy? No, it is not. <laughs> it's weird. It it's like uh, the drama, the melodrama part of this movie feels like oh, rules of attraction. Yeah, this feels like the the plot, the the drama plot of this feels like the sort of impact story of rules of attraction. <laughs> that we that we kept saying was left out of that movie, which was what was so troubling about it. Like this has all the impact. Like it has Derek Luke, a great actor, in this role as an attorney, and their attorney subplot sort of wraps up with Medea's thing. But basically, he shows up to defend this woman and recognizes her, and she's like, a, I don't know, a drugged out prostitute, and he recognizes her as a girl he went to high school with and grew up around and then went to college with and then spoiler alerts and uh here all folks everything spoilers are all off but uh basically we find out that he was a member of the football team and he invited her to his dorm and then left and then she got basically gang raped by all these football guys which was a scene that was even sort of hinted at goofily as for a joke in rules of attraction and here we're getting the impact of like then this has impacted this woman and now he feels obliged to help her and in this case the jealous one as opposed to in the other movie in this case the jealous one is his girlfriend who's portrayed as being terrible as being someone who's corrupt and judgmental and sleazy and doesn't even get it and why doesn't she get that he's that Derek luke is course he's going to take care of this woman even without knowing all this other backstory but immediately i'm much more drawn into this story than i was to the to the confession story but then 
uh sorry i say confessions the temptation story confessions of a marriage counselor gotta say say the whole title like you can even hear like, i get very excited about this story like i want to know like how is the how is this all going to work out and how, and the way it does is like it's super it's kind of both gritty but also over the top it really is it really hits the melodrama thing there's a scene mm-hmm. with uh Derek luke and viola davis where He's telling the story to her and they're sitting outside on a park bench and he's just breaking down in tears and she's listening to him and being there for him. And then there's just like people walking by in the background, like (laughs) nobody's business. And it's it really has that melodrama feel of like, I'm totally moved by this, but I also think it's really funny, but only as a filmmaker, like it's funny from a filmmaking standpoint and on a story level, it's there's nothing funny about it at all. And these are two great actors giving an amazing performance, talking about super intense stuff, and you can't take your eyes off it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I you got to. I mean, Derek Luke and Viola Davis are better than anyone in most Douglas Sirk movies as actors. Those are <laughs> these are like powerhouse actors, top notch. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It just. It makes me sad. I feel like if Tyler Perry just had a better cinematographer, mm. I think people would be more accepting of his movies. They would think he was like some subversive genius or something. But because his movies don't have that extra oomph of cinematography, it's just kind of thrown in this pile of just some silly shit that plays on TV or something. Like, it's not... Yeah. Like, I just wonder, like, if he had, like, an award-winning director of photography (laughs) really pushing the visuals of these movies because i think tyler perry approaches these movies maybe much in the way of his plays like he's less concerned with impressing us with camera work and more into the performances and the story which is fine um but i just feel like if he just had that extra push of like man if you just worked with like your whoever your michael ball house is or something like you would have movies that people would be more excited about maybe Though they should be excited about these movies. And, like, he has made so many movies that if you, listening to this episode, check out either Temptation or Medea Goes to Jail and you like it, there is such a treasure trove waiting of of movies. So many movies that you can spend a whole bunch of time watching. Like, the, the endless Tyler Perry, you know, output. And do you think maybe that's part of why... If your style, if your whole thing is volume and you churn the stuff out, the idea of being on set waiting for the your <laughs> director of photography to get to like line yeah. up the shot and get it all right, unless you're interested in that, I could see if you're a writer and a performer, just not like, yeah, it'd be great to do that. But then that just throws off the whole energy of your operation like we're we're a volume business we turn out the product and there are great performances and people like them why would i mess with that by slowing down my set (laughs) yeah i mean in the year he made temptation he made three other movies he directed four movies in one year yeah, you so don't like, you don't do that <laughs> waiting to get that, that perfect to like, shot of walking. To pause Phoenix. for that right F stop or whatever. Like yeah, because like in the same year he did Medea gets a job, the haves and the have nots, and a Medea Christmas. 
Granted, some of those are filmed plays. Like he he'll put out DVDs of his plays, but still, like you're still making it. And then when you look like at the IMDb page, it's like that continues. In 2020, a pandemic year, he directed one, two, three, four, like multiple TV shows and like movies. And he's just like, he just doesn't stop. Like he's like, like he does like his TV shows, he'll direct the episodes. Like he'll write them. Like he, he's like Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> like he just he wants to do it all. He can't be stopped. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, like the, enough, the uh, fact that Woody Allen could do one a year for, for so long was sort of seen as being this tremendous feat. He's doing four a year. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, not every year is like that, but like this dude has always been busy. Like these, like, and I think also that might be why, maybe that's another reason why people don't take him as seriously. Like when you're that prolific and you're just churning them out and you're not looking back, maybe it's just too overwhelming for people and they, it, it's easier to dismiss it than to want to and also like where do you start if you're like yeah i guess i should get into tyler perry it's just overwhelming and you don't and you just shut down and you just rather not do it i guess because it's so much to go into like it's a lot <laughs> so now i've seen temptation confessions of a marriage counselor and i'm not as you know, that you know I'm, i liked it but i didn't love love it i saw <laughs> medea goes to jail i'm i want more of this I want more of this strange balance of, you know, hit or miss over the top comedy and really gut wrenching, well acted melodrama. What's the next one for me? I think you should do. Gosh, that, see, that's so hard. Um, an interesting one would be, uh, you know, Medea's witness protection is good. You got some Eugene, Eugene Levy in that one. Mm. So may, maybe maybe do a Medea's witness protection. Or if you want to try another of, of the non-Medea ones, Why Did I Get Married is good. And it's not as brutal as Temptation. It's definitely more, it's more melodrama than comedy. But then I don't know what I'm talking about because like Medea is also the same thing. It's all the same tone. So I think like maybe for a Medea do witness protection and for Mel for more of the Namadia, why did I get married? And if you like, why did I get married? There's a sequel. Why did I get married to, to who? So, yeah. <laughs> and then the third, and then the, the next one would be, why, uh, why did I get married to you? And then you'd get the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, I, this was great. I'm glad that we talked about like this, just like our Jack and Jill episode, like I'm always fighting to defend Tyler Perry, just like Adam Sandler. Just like it's like been a constant battle of my film loving life of trying to get people to take seriously these things that they're so easy to just make fun of and dismiss. So I'm very happy that we were able to do this. Hey, y'all, it's Amy from the Pink Among Men podcast. I know you are really, really busy with your sourdough starter and your fourth rewatch of The Office. So it's totally cool if you don't have time for an informative, perspective-bending podcast right now. But if you do have a few minutes to spare in your jam-packed schedule, I want to offer Pink Among Men for your consideration. 
Pink Among Men is a weekly conversation on different perspectives, gender, and marginalization in the creative community. We chat with actors from shows you watch, directors who make movies that you want to watch, and comedians from stand-up shows that you'll probably never watch, but you should. Every Wednesday, they sit down to talk about the tragedy and the triumph that comes with not being a white dude in arts and entertainment. You probably don't have time for it, but maybe subscribe so you can listen when you're a little less busy. Get Pink Among Men on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're a proud member of the Paper House Network. And if you're unfamiliar with Douglas Sirk, that stuff's really easy to find. Criterion put out a lot of his stuff. Like, please check that. If you're a lover of movies at all, he's one of the great filmmakers of all time. Like, really. And it's, like, all good. Like, you, you've watched some ones I never heard of recently. Yeah. Uh, I recently watched one called Slightly French that may have been <laughs> recommended on the Pure Cinema podcast, but it might be from something else. But uh, it's a film with Don Amici and... From the Bob and Bing movies. Oh, Dorothy L'Amour. Yeah, so it's with uh, yeah. Don Amici and Dorothy L'Amour. And it's uh, about a filmmaker who basically doesn't get along with the lead actress uh, in his film about a French woman. And she's French. And then he goes to a carnival and sees Dorothy L'Amour doing all these accents. And then tries to create this mystique around her as a French actress in his film. And it's just, it's much more comedy. <laughs> it's much more comedy than melodrama, but it has that Circean thing of characters who are sort of, uh, they're dead inside in a really compelling way. You think I'm a bubblehead, don't you? Naturally. Falling in love with John is like falling in love with a refrigerator or an adding machine or... Mary, it'll be hard for you to understand people like John and me. We're so completely self-centered that we're incapable of love. That's why neither one of us is ever married. I don't believe that. You just think so because neither one of you have met the right one. Have it your way. Just trying to let you down easily. And I just feel like, oh, that's that feels like such a knowing, Circean kind of idea. But yeah, if I was going to recommend one <laughs> Douglas, I would say you got to see Written on the Wind. I know yeah, uh, people I really go the one. imitation of life. An imitation of life is great. And all that heaven yep. will allow is Lies great. Is good. Yeah. Uh, all, you know, tarnished angels. They're all, but written on the wind is the, uh, uh, if you like rebel without, a, I feel like that should run in a double feature with rebel without a cause. Like, you're yeah. Going to get a lot of color, a lot of acting. Hmm. Mm, mm, mm. yeah no it's it's truly masterful filmmaking and uh who knows maybe in 20 years criterion will be putting out uh, some tyler perry movies if they know what's good for them i bet you know if he owns his own studio i bet he owns his gets he's got his distribution down i you know why would yeah, he I guess sell he doesn't it to... need, doesn't need him doesn't yeah need him. <laughs> independent filmmaker i love it like that's the other thing is like how can you not celebrate someone who is m- uh, just that alone, who's figured out a way to be independent as a filmmaker and just churn out their mm-hmm. own films. That's, yeah. you know. It's great. That's yeah. the dream. Like, that's what you want. Yeah. making That's who you want making movies. <laughs> Coppola tried, couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Yeah. So when you're not hosting 
or co-hosting or also hosting uh, this podcast with me, you also co-host a podcast called The Director's Wall with your co-host, AJ Gonzalez. And in that podcast, as listeners of the show are well aware, you discuss a filmmaker's full filmography, their, their director's wall, if you will, uh, from beginning to end. And your first season was M. Night Shyamalan. You're in the middle of uh, Francis Ford Coppola. And clearly, next up is Tyler Perry, right? You know, you, you, you may be right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like... I, I think I definitely don't want the show to only just be white, you know, straight white guys. So we're going to mix it up. Like, I definitely feel like we're due for like a good black filmmaker and just like, and also like Tyler Perry is just like, he's amazing and I love his movies. And that would be an interesting filmography to unpack. Like, I don't think we would do all the plays cause that's too much. But if we did just the movies, that's already a lot. It would be a mat. It would be like, would AJ be into that? I don't know. I I don't know, but but I think that that would definitely be an interesting experience. Mm-hmm. The problem is, like, it's still going. I just feel like they do do a did cover director who's still like making four movies a year or whatever. Like, but we gotta wait till he's like. I feel maybe we should wait till he's made more things. I don't know. I, I are we only in the middle of his career? Perhaps. Um, but that would definitely be exciting to me. That would be a thrilling, uh, thing to do. Um, but I also want to do, we were also overdue for a female director. We should definitely do that too. So, but maybe we can count Medea as a a female film director. (laughs) (laughs) No, we won't do that. I don't don't know, but it does feel like (laughs) there should be a Tyler Perry podcast for the very reason that you're talking about is like, how do you, where do you enter on, a, yeah. a career that's this ve- deep like it's yeah. a, you kind of you need someone to guide you in and say okay we'll start here and go the you know to 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 help you through the the thicket of work so you know whether or not you do it someone should do a Tyler Perry podcast uh, and they should have you as a guest but you would be a perfect <laughs> person to do it um I wonder if AJ's skills as a researcher would be as fulfilled. Like he just does such great <laughs> research on the stuff for uh, for Coppola. Yeah. That you know maybe there's as much, but it's sort of like if you're making four films in a year, how much research can you do? Like the research yeah. on one film a- is the same as all the other. Like most, like oh, this is. And there's not a lot of big behind the scenes stories for Tyler Perry yet. Like not like a Coppola or even Shyamalan, which we did before Coppola of like finding out the story behind the story. Like, because you're churning out stuff so quick, like mm-hmm. Tyler Perry, like it's, I think they're just really well-made quickly made movies. So there's not a lot of time for controversy or behind the scenes shenanigans, you know, just like <laughs> he just makes it moves on, makes it moves on. Like he's like a factory. It's amazing. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, definitely would consider doing Tyler Perry, but I also kind of want to do a, like just four other filmmakers in my head that I want to that I'm excited about. So, I mean, I also want to do Claire Denis or Catherine Bigelow or uh, Wong Kar Wai or Ang Lee or uh, you know, just like there's a million people. So, who knows? Who knows? 
Who knows? Well, you still have to get through. <laughs> you still have to get through Francis Ford Coppola. Coppola. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if if basically uh, if your your current pace is anything to go by, let's see <laughs> when you're when we're recording this, 20... Hammett is out there, and I'm thinking that by the time we get to when this one comes out, you'll be going backwards. That's how slow you're going. <laughs> Probably. You'll be going yeah, back you know, to. We take you... our... <laughs> no. Uh, we take our time. You uh... do, but it's worth it. It's worth it. That I, I can I recommend yeah. that Hammett episode to people. Uh, I made a reference earlier in. Maybe it wasn't in this. Sorry, never mind. I'll recommend people to go check out that Hammett episode. Uh, the stuff about Vim Vendors and the original production of that is definitely. Uh, more entertaining to listen to than actually watching the final film of, yep. uh, that came out of that <laughs> project. But it's it's a really, really interesting film to hear you guys talk about. So I recommend people checking Thank that you. out. So on your other podcast, we're such, we're such busy guys, the Radio 8 Ball Show, where you ask a question and you answer it by picking a song at random. You've been asking questions... Uh, pertaining to the movies that we're watching they've all been pretty like clear in a way of like you like with solo you talked about like um you know like which star like who would i can relate to if i don't relate to any of the star wars character i'm kind of paraphrasing but that was sort of what you asked so what the heck are you gonna do with this one like because you had a relationship kind of with john bryan in a way like so like this what the heck are you gonna do with with tyler perry what quest so many questions you could ask yeah i'm just thinking about radio eight ball as melodrama actually is what i'm thinking of right now well just the idea of especially the way i'm doing radio eight ball now i'm I've really focused it inward for a long time. It's just been get, I'll have guests on. They'll ask the questions and it's more about me helping other people to figure out the answers to their questions, which is a lot easier than having to ask the question and then try and figure out the answer for yourself. It's very revealing and it's revealing in ways that again, you, like I said in our last week's episode in ways that you're unaware of. Yeah while you're doing it, which is just a very naked endeavor. And it could be sort of embarrassed. Like it, it's a lot of making mountains out of molehills, which is what melodrama is. It's like focusing in on some weird little aspect of a thing that I have a curiosity about or a question about, and then focusing on it really heavily in a way that ultimately reveals whatever, you know, scratch and wherever it reveals where it bleeds basically. Mm-hmm. And so, actually, I, I don't know where we'll be at when this comes out, but right after this last week's episode, where I asked a question about something relating to John Bryan, a, an event that happened at one of his shows that I attended, what came out was a really intense, and I want it's hard to say conversation because I was alone in my room when I did, I just asked a question to the app that we created and it picks one of the songs that was recorded on radio eight ball over the history of the show. And then I have to react to it in the moment. And I try and leave that, you know, the, the genuine reaction. And then what, cause that's what I do for my guests. So why not do it to myself? But it's a, uh, yeah, it, 
if you check out the episode, the John Bryan episode, I think it's called, uh, yeah, John Bryan and Abby, oh, three witches and Abby Weems, uh, who's the songwriter whose song came up as an answer. If you check that out, you'll, you know, you'll hear a ver- how the show goes from being sort of intellectual to being very intense emotionally by the end. And, uh, you know, I think that's probably, you know, that's certainly what freaked me out about temptation confessions of a marriage counselor and maybe that's just because it was too it hit too close to home is that you know these sort of not the jealousy and the you know there's no jealousy or wild uh, affairs going on in my life at this point <laughs> but there is like that sense of oh this just got intense just sitting here thinking about ideas and events and the feelings around them so check that out. It's I'm sure it sounds like really fun podcasting, but it's it's uh, <laughs> trust me. The good part about it, the good part about it is there's always good music. And uh, and I and and uh, so once you've listened to all of the directors, well, come on over and check out Radio 8 Ball. <laughs> uh, so uh, so what are we going to be? What what film are we going to be looking at next? Brian? Oh, man. I'm excited. We're going to be doing Chris Rock's Top 5. One of the best comedies of the last 10 years. Whew, I'm excited to talk about that. And you've never seen it, so I'm very excited to hear what you think about it. I hope you love it as much as I do. Yeah, when so you that is going to be great. When you announced it just now, it sounded like you were announcing we're going to do the Top 5 Chris Rock films. Like I've never well, heard this is what? number one. I never heard the world is wrong do a top five list before. It doesn't sound like it's their kind of their thing. Because uh, it would be an eight-hour episode. <laughs> <laughs> because I would do my top. Because my top five would be secretly thirty movies yeah. and yeah, yeah. those rules you'd break. And... <laughs> Chris Rock doesn't even have that many movies he's made. So uh, <laughs> is it? Did did he direct top five? Yeah. Okay, I'm excited. Yeah, it's it's really good. I'm very excited. I think uh, we're all going to have a lot of fun with that one. And so if you'd hate spoilers, please watch it before you listen to the next week's episode because we're going to unpack it and talk about it. And if you love spoilers, then don't go and listen to it. Or no, go, don't, don't go and see it. Don't just come and li- just listen to us. Experience the movie purely through our telling it to you. <laughs> I hope there's someone who just listened to these, never watches the movies, and is like, good enough. They told me. I, I get it. <laughs> if you are that person and you want to let us know, you can reach out to us at the World is Wrong Podcast through email at contact at the World is Wrong Podcast.com. You can find us on Instagram at the world is wrong podcast dot uh, just at the world is wrong podcast and uh, you can find me all over the place on the many social media platforms brian not so much because he because you got good boundaries and a, a good head on your shoulders and you're not caught up in all these kids games on all the <laughs> social media stuff right i'm in the Medea witness protection program <laughs> well uh if anyone out there is also in some sort of witness protection program, you, like the rest of us, are living in a world that is, uh, well, wrong. And definitely 
wrong about you. Wait a minute. Those are not my hand-me-downs. No, they are not. <laughs> oh my god, you caught on. Wait a minute, wait, you caught on, let me see. Uh -huh. I am so proud. Like, like it, yes. This is my finest moment in life. Is Janison? Yes. Hi. What, you don't knock? Just the person I wanted to see, have a seat. No, I'll stand. I wanted to uh, thank you for the job, but this will be my last week. No. This is your last day. I just got a call from Ali telling me that uh, he's out of the deal with me and opening a practice for you. That's what we plan to do. We? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Little girl. You have no idea what you are in for. But I wish you all the best with your struggle. Au revoir. You know, I've been meaning to tell you, you are in an existential identity crisis. I did my research on you. You spent those two weeks in Paris, and all of a sudden, you got a French accent. We know you from Georgia. Bitch, you better get your ass out of my office. Now! Radio 8 Paul. Andras here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8-Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tig Notaro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8-Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. Show.